Hey, good morning, FCF. Um, I'm betting some of you, you got the coffee cup in your hand and your jammies are still on and that's perfectly all right because that's one of the wonderful things, if there's anything wonderful, about this time that we can't be together uh, in our normal functional space that we call our church, but it's the FCF campus. Well, I've been in a series now. This is the third week. It is a three-week series and it's called Going the Distance. Kind of using the sports analogy, but I'm focusing on something very specific. By going the distance, I'm talking about this, fulfilling the purpose for which God has put you and I and every human on this earth. In other words, to become who Christ created me to become and to do exactly what God has created and equipped me to do. That is your purpose in life. That is my purpose in life. And that's the purpose of every single human. And so that's what I mean by going the distance. The first message, we ask a question. What can I expect? Without balanced expectations, we're not going to go the distance. We're likely to get tripped up. We're likely to get discouraged. We're likely to get confused. We saw that we need to expect hardships in life, but these hardships are used by our loving Father as developmental tools for our character. The second message we asked this, we said, staying focused on what? What what should we stay focused on? And we introduced this notion that human beings are goal-driven, but every goal that we're driven toward, it's really a hint. It's really directing us. It's really a crumb trail toward what I call the goal of all goals. And that goal of all goals is my, your, our complete transformation to Christ-likeness in this life. Some of you are thinking, but Randy, we'll never reach it in this life. Paul didn't even reach it in this life. Nevertheless, That is what we are to pursue. That's what healthy, mature Christ followers are ever in pursuit of. That is what we need to stay focused on right to the end of the race. You may remember my illustration of the runner that lost his focus. So in closing this little mini-series, today we're going to kind of bring up yet one more question, and it's this, connecting with question mark. I mean, what is it to run the race to finish the course, to stay the course, what is it that we need to be connecting with? Now, if you uh, listen to popular voices in society today, they give us all kinds of things to think about that we need to be connecting with. You know, maybe we need to connect with our inner child. Uh, Maybe we need to connect with our feelings. Maybe we need to connect with our past hurts, wounds, bruises, bumps. Maybe we need to connect with our roots or our heritage. Maybe we need to connect with our culture. Maybe we need to reconnect with our families or connect with our spouses or our children or connect with our friends. I mean, all these are valid. All these are good. All these are important. But I want to share with you today, there is a far more important connection that we must make if we're going to finish the course, if we're going to stay the course and finish the race in the way that God intended. So connecting with what? What? I want to introduce this message to you by taking you to the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, a little background. If you want to know how the church started at Corinth, you can read about it in Acts chapter 18. The apostle Paul goes in there, starts speaking to people about Christ gets a gathering together, stays there 18 months and teaches them, and then he leaves. And then about six years later, he writes this letter back to these followers of Christ living in the city of Corinth. So I'm going to start reading in chapter 9, and I'm going to start in verse 19. And this is the Apostle Paul talking. He says, For since I am free from all I can, excuse me, 
For since I am free from all, I can make myself a slave to all in order to gain even more people. Kind of keep your ears perked up for this word gain. You're going to hear it four times. For since I am free from all, I can make myself a slave to all in order to gain even more people. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to gain the Jews. There's the word again. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am under, or excuse me, am not under the law to gain those under the law. There's three times. To those free from the law, I became like one free from the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under law of Christ to gain those free from the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to gain the weak. That's five times gain. I have become all things to all people so that by all means I may save some. I do all these things because of the gospel so that I can be a participant in it. Now, I'm going to go back and we're going to pick through this very, very carefully. The first thing I want you to see is is that this connection that we need to make in order to go the distance, this connection, it is a relational connection with other human beings, but it is a relational connection that we make it with other human beings, intentionally make with them, in order to become a bridge between them and Christ their Creator. Paul is saying, he said, I became a slave. And you ask yourself, why? Why, Paul? You're a free person. Why would you make yourself a slave? Well, the word that he used there, the Greek word is doulos. And it is the word that was used for slave, but it also meant somebody that just became a willing servant. Paul is saying, I became a servant of all people by my own free choice. And then he starts telling us why. Why, Paul? Why would you make yourself a servant to everybody? Why don't you stick up for yourself? Don't you have some rights? Don't you want people to serve you? Paul says, oh, no, no, you don't understand. He says, I became a servant because I wanted to gain more people. What is he talking about, gain more people? Well, he's talking about gaining people to be reconciled back to Christ their creator, gaining people for the kingdom of God, gaining people that will live eternally in the relationship with their creator that they were always meant to make. He gave his life to that end. When you come to this portion of scripture, Paul has been following Jesus for about 16 years. He'll serve him for about 32 years total and will die in the process. Nero will chop his head off because he refuses to stop trying to gain more people to bring them back to Christ. So when you look at these words there, they're really interesting. I'm going to go slower now, and we're going to really pick up on what this is saying. By the way, I love these kind of messages because it is the closest you and I ever come to having God himself speak directly to us because we are simply taking what the Spirit of God has breathed out in his word, and we are unraveling it and letting it speak to us in a present-day context. So let me start again. For since I am free from all, I can make myself a slave to all in order to gain even more people. Now he starts to unpack this. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to gain the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law to gain those under the law. To those free from the law, I became like one free from the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ to gain those free from the law. He's talking in this context. When he says those that are under the law, I should have paused. 
He means Jews. What does he mean under the law? He means these are the individuals that had the Old Testament, particularly the first five books of the Bible. They dressed the way that those first five books told Jews to dress. They ate the way those first five books told Jews to eat. They observed festivals and certain days, Sabbaths and things. Their their lifestyle was modified by what they called the law. They were in a special covenant with God. God was going to reveal himself to them. And then as they trusted and obeyed him and did uh, things the way that he wanted them to do, he would reveal himself through them to the rest of the world. They were recipients of the scripture that were to be preserved and passed down ultimately to the whole world. So when Paul says under the law, he doesn't mean that every human being isn't ultimately under the moral law of God. We absolutely necessarily are. But he's saying the Jews had a particular law that those that Paul then calls not under the law. Who is he talking about? He's talking about what scripture calls the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile was just anybody that was not a Jew. So if you were a Roman or Greek or, you know, a Persian, whatever you were, you were considered a Gentile. The Gentiles did not have the Old Testament, so that's what Paul meant they were not under the law. Did they have a moral law? Absolutely. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 2. In fact, he said that sometimes those that didn't have the Word of God that was given uh, to the Lord, in, to the Jews in the Old Testament, they were even more moral than the Jews themselves. So the moral law... The, the uh, sensitivity of conscience that human beings have, we all have differing degrees this. So he wasn't saying that. So what Paul was saying was this. When he was with the Jews, he would talk and behave in a certain way. When he was with those that were not familiar with the scriptural, scripture, he would behave differently. But that's not where I want to take you. His whole thing here is why? Why, Paul? Why do you do this? Why do you bend to people? Why do you make yourself a servant to people? Why? He tells us. Because I want to gain as many people to Christ's family, the kingdom of God, the family of God, as I can. He goes on to say something further as to his motive in this, and it's a very powerful thing. If you don't mind looking again at verse 22, he says, To the weak I became weak in order to gain the weak. I have become all things to all people, listen to this carefully, so that by all means I may save some some of you perhaps are thinking, nobody can save anybody, Randy. The only person who can save anybody is God. Yet the Apostle Paul says, I became all things to all men that I may save some. Paul understood God's methodology. God uses people. He uses me. He uses you. He works through us to bring his message, to bring his revelation to other people. Paul understood that if people ever get saved, and we're going to have to talk about saved from what, if people ever get saved, it's because people like Paul and me and you, we become bridges between other human beings and God. Now, this begs the question, when Paul says to save some, what did he want to save them from? And the word there is an interesting one. It's the, the notion of rescue. It's almost the, the notion of the word healing. He's saying that he wanted to rescue some people. He wanted to bring healing to some people. Healing from what? Rescue from what? Now, in a lot of churches, you would think that heaven is uh, littered with lawyers and that the only thing we need to be saved from is some sort of penalty that we have built up because of the multiple times we've broken God's law. But nothing could be further from what God reveals in his word. The truth is this, what we need to be saved from is sin itself. Jesus himself said in John 8 that if he, the Son, sets us free, we will be free indeed. And he said that anybody that practices sin is the slave of sin. Sin. 
Jesus knows, God knows that our enemy, the thing that is wrecking our individual lives, complicating and injuring our souls, injuring our relationships, injuring our society, injuring our world, totally devastating human history with bloodshed, it is this thing called sin. It is because human beings broke trust with their creator and we have been kind of making it up as we go. Sometimes we do what is right just by happenstance. Other times we don't. And this wreaks havoc. I need, you need, the world needs to be saved from sin. Sin is a destroyer in every form. The only idea is that we don't always see it immediately. Paul also knew that human beings need to be saved first and foremost from what causes sin. The root of sin is our distrust in God. When Satan deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they stopped trusting God. They thought that God couldn't be trusted, that he was a liar, that he was a control freak. And so they, they ran from God. They hid from God. And we have been running as a race ever since. We feel like we're going to be happier if we're uh, without God's control, his direction in our life. We, we don't look at his direction as his protection. We look at it as a constraint, as a restriction. And so God has labored to reveal himself gently and gradually, not to overwhelm us with his almighty power, but to reveal himself gently and gradually and ultimately sacrificially on the cross to show us that all of his almighty power is nothing to be feared, but it's actually devoted to our highest well-being and happiness. God wants to win your trust. He wants to win my trust. He wants to win the trust back of the human race. He's that humble. He's that good. He's that gentle. He's that kind. He's the safest person in the universe. I need, you need, we need to be saved from our distrust in God. And that's when Paul said, I'm here because I want to save some. I want to save people from distrust in their creator because that destroys. I want to save people from the sin that that distrust creates. We sin because we do not trust God. We neither know nor care about his will and his ways. And from that, Paul says, he wanted to save people. And he understood he was a key agent in that. Once again, I hear occasionally this notion that, you know, God can just save people any old way that he wants. I'll say that's true, but the way that he has chosen, the way that he has clearly laid out in his word is to work through me, to work through you, to work through those that are his people, that have returned to him, been reconciled to him in trust. And so Paul was saying that he wanted, above all things, to gain people back to Christ and to save people, but now he's going to tell us one more motive that he has. We were looking at the foundation of why, the why behind this connection. And Paul says in verse 23, I do all these things. Paul, why do you become a slave to everybody? Why are you trying to gain everybody to Christ? Why do you want to save as many as you can? I do all these things, verse 23, because, here he's going to reveal it, because of the gospel, that's the good news, the message of God's full revelation in Christ. I do all these things because of the gospel so that I can be a participant in it. What is he saying? Paul is saying, you want to know why I give my life to save as many as I can? You want to know why I give my life to being a servant to all that I may gain all? It's because of this message. Once, Paul saying, once I knew the truth about God, that he was almighty but sacrificially loving, that his power is always controlled by his sacrificial love. Once I saw his beauty, once... Once I saw the truth of who he really is and what he really wants to accomplish, it so altered my heart 
that there was nothing left that I couldn't, I, I had to do this. I had to give myself to this message. There was nothing more important. You can educate somebody, but it only teaches them how to make a living. You can feed somebody, but it only keeps them alive for a little while. You can heal somebody, but that only keeps them alive for a while. But when you bring a human being back into connection with their creator, you change the quality of their life from the inside out, from time into eternity. It never ends. It's the greatest gift that you and I can ever give to somebody. And Paul knew that it was worth becoming a servant to all, that he may gain as many as he could, that he may save some, as many as he can. And he did it all for the sake of this message. This, this message, age 23, this message got a hold of my heart, folks. It's never let go. It never will let go. Jesus changes not, so it cannot let go of my heart. And I hope you feel the same way. I hope a fire has been burning in you from the time that you first heard that message. And that fire in you just wants to be shared, just wants to be released. Since age 23, this has been my quest. It has been to reach, to gain as many as I can for the kingdom of God, for God's love, to save as many as can be saved. And I do all this because once I knew the message, once I knew the good news, once I knew the gospel, the truth about God, who He is, what He's like, what His plans are, what His promises are, what the future is, there is nothing, there is nothing more worth giving ourselves to, to the utmost. So when we ask the why of the connection, Paul was seeking to connect to other human beings and not just to connect to them, but to connect them to Christ. It was kind of like he was holding on to the hand of God from heaven and stretching out his hand to other human beings and trying to form this chain between them to make this eternal connection that was always meant to be. And he said he gave himself. That was the why. That was what motivated him. That's what's inspired Paul and caused him to sacrifice whatever was necessary, and he counted it as a small thing. Now, I want to take you to the second part of this message because he gave us a lot of insight, too, about his technique. And so we're going to look at the, the functional way of bringing this connection about. And I'm hoping that you'll embrace the functional way. Look at the words again, and we'll pick up one a lot, and then I'll add verses 24 through 27, ultimately. Again, we go back, he says, he says, for since I'm free from all, I can make myself a slave to all in order to gain more people. So now listen for a new word. The word is became. You'll hear it four times. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. Why, Paul? To gain the Jews. To those under the law, I became, here it is again, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Why, Paul? To gain those under the law. To those free from the law, here's our word, I became like one free from the law. Why, Paul? Though I am um, I am not free from God's law, but under the law of Christ, to gain, to gain those free from the law. That just meant those that didn't have the Old Testament scriptures. To the weak, I became, there it is the fourth time, I became Weak in order to gain the weak. The weak, he's talking about those that, if you read in other portions of the New Testament, those that had scruples about dietary commands and things. They felt like if they were to eat meat offered to idols, it might be a sin, or they should stay as vegetarians or follow a strict Jewish diet. So Paul says, hey, when I was around people like that, I respected their point of view. And I'm going to really unpack this for you, what he meant by became. So 
he ultimately says, I have become, I have become, which is just a form of became, I have become all things to all people. Why, Paul? Why? Why do you become all things to all people? So that by all means, you've heard it before, I may save some. Now he's going to add something to it. I do all these things because of the gospel, that message, that good news, so that I can be a participant in it. Now listen what he says in verse 24 through 27. Do you not know that all runners in a stadium, he's given an analogy of how he ordered his life, how he subordinated everything in his life to keeping himself perfectly fit and, and functional to get this message. He didn't want his life to be any kind of a distraction or any kind of a deterrent between another human being and God. He says, do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete, but only runner, excuse me, do you not know that all the runners in a stadium compete, but only one receives the prize? So run to win. Each competitor must exercise self-control in everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So I do not run with uns- I do not run uncertainly or box like one who is only hi- who only hits the air. Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave, so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be unqualified. So Paul is talking about now. He started talking to us about the why. Why did he give his life to make this connection between himself and human beings and human beings in Christ? Now he's telling us the way that he did it. There's just some real wisdom here. I became all things to all men. I became like a Jew with the Jews. I became like uh, those that didn't have the law or didn't have the scripture when I was with them. What is he talking about? The language of a human being's soul is their culture. Um, Truly, truly, if you do not understand, if I do not understand and respect someone's culture, if I don't speak to them in the context of their culture, I'd just as well be speaking in a foreign language. You know, if somebody is speaking to me in French, they may be cursing me out, making fun of me, saying how ugly and stupid I am, or they may be saying that they just think I'm the most wonderful human being in the world. Either way, doesn't matter to me at all because I don't know the language. If you and I want to connect people back to Christ, their creator, we must, we must study, become aware, be sensitized to their culture because that's the language of their soul. Now, now this is where it gets tricky. And I'm, I'm going to say something. I don't mean to discourage anybody. I don't mean to, to sound, uh, you know, uh, proud or anything of that nature. But he, here's the God's honest truth. To make these kind of connections with someone else's culture that Paul is talking about, to observe them. So, okay, he saw that the Jews were really steeped in Old Testament truth. Therefore, he talked to them in terms of Old Testament truth. When he got around the Gentiles, he knew they didn't know the Bible at all. So you can get an example in Acts chapter 17. He talks to them in the context of philosophies and things that they would have been familiar with. But to do this, folks, to do this takes a kind of an, what I'm going to call an inner space, an inner objectivity, an inner authenticity that can only be achieved when you have, first of all, received God's grace in its fullness yourself, and it's had time to work in you and bring some healing to your soul. What, what are you saying right now? I'm saying, look, 
If my soul is still noisy with struggles with insecurity and security, or low self-esteem and high self-esteem, or if I'm still coping with trying to avoid pains from my past, and I've got all these weird coping systems, or if I'm still trying to prove myself, or if I'm still worried about pleasing people, or if I'm still worried about how people think about me or hear me, if I have all that noise going on in my mind, in my soul, I'm not available. I don't have any objectivity. I don't have any space for another human being. I can't serve them. I'm too needy myself. There's nothing wrong with this. This is a legitimate stage in the life of every Christ follower. When we come to Christ, we need a lot of healing. We need a lot of work in our soul. And God in His kindness starts to work in us as we are willing to feed ourselves continuously on His Word, interact with His truth and His people and so forth. But it takes some time. And so, you know, if you've got a lot of noise still, a lot of chatter in your soul, you're, you're very distracted. Don't feel bad. Don't feel guilty. You're on your pathway. The very fact that you desire to be available to somebody. But, but you've heard me say this before. Paul is saying this. When he saw another human being, he had going through his mind one thing. How can I serve you? What can I do for you? How can I reach you? How can I communicate with you in a way that will make sense to you? How can I become a bridge between you and your Creator? How can I cause you somehow to awaken to His goodness, His trustworthiness, His love for you? I am there for you. Paul had space in his soul. It was not full of noise. He had sufficiently processed his baggage so that he could be authentic. He knew who he was and he knew who he was and he was not perfect. The message before this, he was very clear about that. But he did know who he was and he knew how far God had taken him. And he had enough silence. He had enough peace. He had enough stability in his own soul that he was available. He could focus on other people. Before you can embrace somebody else's culture, before you can study somebody else's culture, before you can be sensitized to somebody else's body language, tonality, mood, fears, concerns, wounds, uh, dynamics of their personality, you have to have some space. You have to be able to focus on them. And we can't focus on others until we have sufficiently, I'm not talking about perfectly, sufficiently let the gospel heal, heal the wounds. And we all need this. Heal the wounds in our own soul. Then we can be all there for somebody else. Paul says, I became, I became. I became like a Jew. I studied their culture. I became like those who didn't have the Word of God. I became like the weak, those that were scrupulous in their conscience about dietary codes and dress codes and feast days and festival days. I didn't want to wound their, their delicate, weak consciences. I wanted to draw them closer to God by all possible means. It wasn't about me. It was about them and their need to know the truth of how deeply they are loved by their Creator. And what a wonderful quality life He waits and wants to bring to them if they will trust Him with their whole hearts and follow Him fully and follow Him freely and follow Him forever. So Paul embraced people's culture and he had the space in his soul and the authenticity of character to relate. I just want to share something with you folks. Again, I'm not trying to be harsh or hurt anybody but if you think about this, you get along with God and you ask Him if this isn't true. You will not be able to, I will not be able to relate to anybody until I come to some measure of authenticity within myself. And to, I, until I have some degree of stability, I'm not talking about per perfection, but some degree of stability in my own character. I don't have a real self to offer people. I'm always trying a different self on. I'm trying to figure out what self is the right self. And God wants to bring us 
on a developmental path past that so that we can go through life with objective eyes where I, I just can ask the question, I don't need anything from you, my brother, my sister, I really don't, but I want to give something to you if I can. And I'm going to watch and I'm going to observe and I'm going to study you and I'm going to assess you. And if I can, I want to give you something. I may fail at it. I may fail miserably, but, but that's my desire. And that's what Paul was saying. This message of Christ needs to be given in a context of redemptive love. Redemptive love is something that the universe must have. If you're wondering what I mean by redemptive love, I mean it's a love that devotes all of its powers, all of its understanding to doing good to others, whether they deserve it or not, just for the intrinsic value of good. Redemptive love seeks to rescue, seeks to reach out to those that are in trouble of any kind. Doesn't ask whether they deserve to be rescued or not. Doesn't ask if they deserve to be reached out to. Redemptive love motivates, it stirs, it causes us to do what it did in Paul. We want to see people reconciled to God. We want to see people saved from sin, saved from distrusting God. We want to see people become who God always meant them to be and to do what God always meant them to do. And that's a fiery, passionate motivation that never goes out in the soul of a human being. Once they've caught the vision, what's in the heart of God? You see, redemptive love of God is going to fill the universe someday. The time is coming where only angels and humans that have their hearts full of God's redemptive love, ever other-oriented, ever living to be a blessing, ever living to be a servant. Everybody's going to feel that same way about one another. I want to serve you. You want to serve me. I want to bless you. You want to bless me. The universe is going to be that way eternally. It's the future. This day and age of selfishness and sin and taking instead of giving, it's got a short shelf life, folks. And we might be, we might be watching its demise in the next years of our life. Not saying for sure, but you need to keep your eyes open. So Paul gave himself to something that was eternally important. To finish the race, to stay the course, to go the distance. I, you, we, we are meant to be connectors of other human beings. We are first meant to authentically connect with them, care about them, love them. And because we care and love them, we reach out and try to connect them with our creator. So we're holding on to the hand of Christ and we're reaching out with that other hand to another human being. And if we're not, if we're not reaching out to the hand of another human being constantly, all the time, there, there's something really deficient. We're, we're, we're squelching, we're, we're hindering the desire of God's Spirit within us. So Paul said, man, I became like an athlete. I became intentional. I subordinated everything in my life. I didn't want anything in my life, any of my behavioral patterns, any of my habits, any of my speech, anything to distract or deter people from wanting to know Christ their Creator. I hope that desire lives in you too. So, to go the distance... Connect with Christ. Connect with others. It's two hands. It goes in each direction. Now, I'm going to close with a, a illustration that I hope brings this home to you in a very powerful way. I don't mean it to be a hurtful way, but I'm going to forewarn you that this is a pretty difficult illustration. Let us say that there is a young Christian adult, and you have known about, <clears throat> and many others have known this young Christian since they were growing up as a child and all through their adolescent years and high school years, but now they're a fine young Christian adult and they're a lifeguard. And so 
You know that for years and years and years, they are a student of God's word. They study God's word. They go to church regularly. They have fellowship with other Christians. They've gone on mission trips. Uh, they're listening to Christian music all the time and they haven't, you know, played around in all sorts of sin and immorality and so forth. This is a, from all perspectives, an excellent young Christian adult. In fact, you would point to that Christian adult and you say, now there, there is a fine Christian. And this fine Christian adult also happens to be a lifeguard, a lifeguard at a swimming pool. They're an excellent athlete, good grades all through their years, and now excellent in their career as well, liked by everyone, popular with everyone. So a day comes that children are in the pool, and one small child somehow slips into the deep end of the pool. Now this fine Christian young adult sees this happen, and pretty quickly it's obvious that this child is in real, real trouble. All of a sudden, the Christian adult is engaged in a conversation with two or three of their Christian friends. In fact, the conversation is about Scripture. They're talking about the Bible. The Christian lifeguard sees the child in real trouble, going down, screaming. No one is is helping. No one else is aware. But the young Christian adult, the excellent young Christian adult, continues the conversation, a Christian conversation, a conversation about Scripture, and the little child is slowly dying. Its life is ebbing away. Now, right at the fingertips of this Christian lifeguard is a long pole that he or she could have easily stretched out to the child to save that child's life. Likewise, right at the fingertips of this lifeguard was a life preserver that he or she could have easily thrown to the little child and save his life. But instead, Christian, listen to me now. Instead, instead, the Christian, the Christian lifeguard, the excellent Christian, just kept talking about the things of God with his and her or her Christian friends while the child, the stranger, unnecessarily, unnecessarily died in a swimming pool that was totally reachable, totally savable, the whole thing unnecessary. Now, here's my question to you. Was that a good Christian? Can, can we, can we, dare we, let me put it that way, dare we call ourselves good Christians that have the redemptive love of God filling our hearts, motivating our souls, if we do not intentionally and constantly seek to save those that are needing to be saved from sin and distrusting God, if we are not seeking to gain those that need to be gained to the kingdom of God, if we are not doing all these things because of the message of Christ that's come to us, if we are not subordinating everything in our life to make sure nothing in my life is going to be a stumbling block to keep a person separated from God, Am I, can we dare call ourselves good followers of Jesus if we are not manifesting his redemptive love because Jesus' entire life was a life that was lived to seek and to save those that were lost and to bring them rescue, to bring them into the family of God, to bring them into reconciled relationships with God. Folks, I'm trying to be as gentle and as forceful as I can simultaneously we that dare call ourselves Christian, Christ follower, we need ever. It is not secondary. It is not third. It is not um, something we can take or leave. To be those that seek to reach others that are not yet reached for the kingdom of God, it is a mandate. It is a duty. It is a privilege. It is number one priority 
for every Christ follower to ever be seeking, like Jesus, to save those that are lost. And the best way to do that is to study them and embrace their culture and build bridges with them and let them see that we care about them as human beings, not just that we care about their eternal destiny, as important as that is, but that we care for them. We care enough to become their servants until we can see their hands joined to the hand of their Creator. Folks, in closing, I want you to ask yourself a question. And please, I don't want you going and feeling bad or guilty and under condemnation, but I do want you to feel the right, healthy kind of conviction by the Spirit of God, if that's appropriate. If this is an area that you and I have neglected, we have not been all about connecting people to Christ that if it's not our heartbeat, if it's not something we're always ever looking for ways and means to do, to gain some, to save some, by all means, if we're not subordinating everything in our life, if, it, if it's in a, neglect, in a neglected area, will you please be humble enough to let God stir you up and reignite a fire in your heart that no circumstance, no devil from hell, no angel, no human, no nothing will ever be able to unquench. This fire has burned in my heart since 1973. I know it's been burning in many of your hearts, and it will always cause you to do whatever you can do to become a bridge between another human being and Christ their Creator. May it be so with all of us that hear this message. Let me pray with you. Spirit of God, you know what's been on my heart and my mind. May this May this release a fire of passionate devotion to reach everyone that we can, every way that we can, for as long as we can for the rest of our lives. For all we that name your name, Lord Jesus, may it be obvious that your spirit of redemptive love burns in us and motivates us to do everything in our power to reach those that are reachable. Father, may you make this so for the sake of your Son, through whom you have revealed yourself beautifully and fully and eternally. In Christ's name, I make this prayer. Amen. FCF Church, goodbye for this Sunday.